Let's take a look at this morning at the subject you see before you, always room for one more. And I'll have to make an apology to my wife and if Karen were not sick, to her and to my daughter and husband, because I, I spoke about this briefly at, uh, up at the little gathering we had last week in Alabama, but I, we're not going to start in Romans 12 as you see here on the screen. That's the gist of the lesson. We're going to start somewhere else over in the book of Luke in chapter 14. What I was telling them in my little, whatever you want to call it, that I gave to my family, there were 20 some of us last week, is that this has kind of been a motto or a way of thinking since Judy and I established our home in 1975. I don't think we realize this immediately, but this has been something that I think, looking back, we've tried to do. And that is that in our life and in our home, there's always room for one more, which is why we have so many kids and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But there's always room for one more. And looking back on this as now an old man, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, but I don't think that's the way a lot of people live. It should be. Not because we're so great, but because of what I'm going to show you this morning. I think it's in the scripture. I just don't know that that's the way it is. There are, there's a whole generation of people now that they even, there's so many of them sociologically in America that they have a name. They're called dinks. D-I-N-K-S. They're called dinks. You can look it up. You all think I make this stuff up, but I do not make it up. I'm not that clever. They're called dinks. Dual income, no kids. It's a whole way of life. They brag about it all across the internet, how they get to go to Disney World, they can watch Netflix any night they want, they can go wherever they want, because they're dual income, no kids. Dinks. Now, there are people that are childless for various reasons. I'm not saying it's wrong to be childless. But the point is, I'm not sure that that lifestyle always lends to the phrase, there's always room for one more. Sometimes it might, and there are exceptions to that. Who are, but what we're really talking about here is a spirit of openness and generosity that's, that's not always easy to do or to dedicate to. So I'm going to take you to a parable, a story. In Luke 14, there are a couple of parables Jesus told or stories, and they don't relate directly to this, but they do indirectly. So bear with me just for a moment. In Luke 14, beginning in verse 7, so he told a parable to those who were invited. Now a parable is a story, for those not familiar, where a you have a spiritual truth that Jesus wants to convey, or the storyteller wants to convey. It's a spiritual truth. And he lays down in a parallel way, a parable, a, a story that illustrates the truth that he wants you to see. So two parallel lines of thinking. So he told a parable of those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying that, so they're at a feast, they always jostle for the best place, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you are invited by him. And he said, and he who invited you come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lower place. So you, you go to this feast and there you find yourself, you find your nice seat up front at the main table and they come over and tap you on the shoulder. Uh, you got to give place to so and so. So you have to go. So you do the walk of shame. 
I had the opposite experience at a American Poultry Association National Banquet a few years ago. I go there, I sit down in the back. And you know, people say, well, what do you have at the American Poultry Association, which all the judges and all the officials of this big national organization, 150 years old, what do you have for dinner? Well, it was a fried chicken dinner, of course. That's what it was. And so we go to this chicken dinner. Now, these are show chickens, but you, we had fried chicken. So I'm sitting in the back. And somebody that I knew in the, in the national committee comes up and taps me on the shoulder and says, you come up here and sit because we want you to, to say the blessing for the chicken because you're a preacher. Okay, I didn't even know they I was a preacher. So I went up there and I got to sit right at the head table with all the other big honchos and I'm a nobody. This was just the greatest thing. Everybody wondering, all the guys that know me, what is Schmidt doing up there? They could not figure this out until it came time to give thanks for the food and then they figured it out. But anyway, that's the opposite feeling. You're going to get shamed if you do this. But he said, when you are invited, go sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. And then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Now, this is a common practice in ancient cultures, probably in the Middle East today, of this kind of seating arrangements. And you know how carefully these bridezillas plan out the seating arrangements at the weddings, don't you? It's all carefully planned. And lots of fighting goes over it because of this very problem. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he also said to them who invited him, when you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. And you shall, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, in your feasts, make sure you leave room for one more. That's another way to see this. Then he said to them, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. We have a song we sing, come, all things are ready. Come to the feast. This is the verse that it's from. But they with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Judy and I were married at spring break of her freshman year in the middle of the semester. They have a couple days off with back then. And so we got married at spring break. And so that was a Thursday. We got married on a Thursday, the day spring break we began. And that I missed the next day, classes the next day. And so I heard when I got back on Monday from my honeymoon, I heard that uh, Shrigley, Edgar Shrigley, my Greek professor, had called the roll on Friday. And somebody said, oh, Schmidt got married. He's on his honeymoon. They all call me just Schmidt. He looks up, he says, so I have married a wife and I cannot come. That's what he said. He, 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 he said, so Schmidt's married a wife and he cannot come, huh? Okay, so this is how it worked. Well, that's how it worked. And anyway, and then I went and told the dean, what day do you need an excuse for, Mike? And I said, such a date, it was the wrong date. So I started off poorly, not knowing my anniversary, and I still get confused over it because I have it off a day. But they all made excuses. The man said, here's a dinner. And invite everybody, invite all these people, and they all made excuses. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Now the master is the Lord here. 
And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, wherever you can find an alley, and bring in the poor here, the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. You bring in whoever you can find to this great feast I've made. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go into the highways and hedges. Go out of the city into the country and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now here's the Lord's attitude about the feast, feasting, living, living. I want my house to be filled. There's always room for more. I want my house to be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. They all had their selfish things to do too busy to come to the feast. Jesus says, I want all of you there. Go, go find people who will come. Now, this parable has many meanings, and it may not even mean exactly the way I'm applying it here. I recognize that. But I understand, he says, that there's still room, and so you go compel these people to come in. So here's the three things I want to emphasize very briefly with you this morning. Christians ought to be the kind of people that have open homes. That's the way we ought to be. Now, I don't care if you're me with a bunch of kids and grandkids and friends and everything, and you have, we have a table that seats, what, 14 or 18 or something. We went and got somewhere and all that that we put fill up all the time. And I, I, I'm hurt sometimes because it isn't full. Uh, or you have some little place with a seating for two or three at your table. Your home should be open, not closed. This is a big thing I've noticed in my 50 years of preaching now. A big difference in the attitude of Americans about this. That uh, It used to be that I would go to people's homes all the time to knock on the door unannounced and say, you know, visit you. I didn't see you on Sunday and visit you and all these things. Or, or somebody would visit and I would go to their home and I'd get invite me in and we'd sit and talk for a few minutes, get acquainted. And we'd have a Bible study or something. I used to be able to do that. Now... Now I'm afraid I'll get shot. Not literally, but maybe people simply do not. I couldn't get, I could go to people's homes. I just couldn't get them to come to the church building. Now I can get them to meet me at the church building or a restaurant, but I, I can't get to their home because our homes are shut down. There are reasons for that. Don't misunderstand. I'm not stupid. I know that there are reasons for that. But on the big picture, even if I, even if you can't come any time of the day or night, is your home open as a Christian? Or are you shut down? The only people, uh, my next door neighbor, good guy, we're friends. I wish I could think of his name right now. <laughs> his, his name is John. Anyway, I, I've had several neighbors named John over the years. So anyway, he's from New York. Uh, and he's a funny guy, and we talk all the time about different stuff. And so one day, something came up about my house or the neighbors. We were talking about something like this on this rat in the street there. And he looks at me. He says, "I'm from New York. If I don't know you, I don't want to know you." That's what he said to me. And he was laughing about this, sort of, because he didn't want to know the neighbors next door. That neighbor, he says, "I know you because I want to know you. You're next door, but I don't want to know anybody else." No, he's a good guy. And of course he has no religious background, but I just don't think that's the attitude that Christians need to have about their life. That they go through life with blinders on 
shut down to the people and places around them and the circumstances around them and that their home is shut down. And by home, I even mean the fact that maybe even other places publicly. I've said before, I, I almost, you know, it's kind of a crazy thought, Judy. You know how many times in sermons I've told people that there should never be a time when someone comes to this assembly or any Christian assembly that you don't know that at least one person doesn't invite them home with them? I've preached that before. That's what the church needs to do. There should never come a visitor in our, in our assembly that isn't invited home or, in our case, modern times, out to eat, even as for McDonald's, out to eat by somebody. Now, the, everybody shrinks back in horror at that. The good news is they'll always say no. Okay, that's the good news. Almost always. Sometimes you're surprised. Yes. Yes. They're not all strangers. And in doing so, I can, I could stand here all the rest of the hour more and tell you stories that have happened to us because my wife was willing to open up our home and that we've been blessed by. We have been blessed. And churches that we've been with have been blessed by that fundamental attitude of having an open home. Now, the home might extend to the Denny's or to the or, or to uh, Chili's or whatever. I know you girls won't go on a first date to anybody in this chain restaurant. That's the modern girls. You won't go on a first date if it's to a chain restaurant. But tough. Invite them there if you have to. I, one night, I think I've told this story recently, we had some visitors at church on Sunday night down in Hollywood. And I talked to them, and after we, we took up a conversation, I said, why don't you all, they're traveling, I said, why don't you all just come over to the house after church here, and we'll, we'll get acquainted, you know, and we'll visit some more. Okay, that sounds fine. I'll tell my wife. So we get in the car, and I'm pulling out of the driveway, and I said, oh, by the way, I invited whoever it was. I don't know their name now. Uh, I invited them home with us for supper. She looked at me, she goes, Mike, they have seven children. There's nine of them. I said, oh, well, I guess we're going to have hot dogs and peanut butter and jelly. And she said, okay. And so we got home, and I think she opened up some Campbell's tomato soup and some made some grilled cheese and some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and they stayed till 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, my friend says, well, they were waiting for you to actually serve a meal. They didn't leave because they were waiting for the food to get brought out, but that was the food. And I love my wife for that. Having an open now, I haven't ever. I've never seen those people again, and that's been thirty years, maybe. I've never seen them again. I don't even know their names, but it was a blessing to us. Maybe a blessing to them. I don't know, because homes. In the verses we had up here before in Romans twelve, verse nine, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't be a fake. You have to be a fake about this. Your heart should be open to which will come to. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. And I don't think he means just because they're a brother. He means this is for everybody. Have brotherly love to everybody that you know. In honor, give bring preference to one another. Do the things that benefit other people, not just you. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Hospitality literally is the love of strangers or people that are not your family. There's always room for one more. There has to be if you're going to be hospitable. How can you be given to hospitality if there's not room for one more? You have to, it has to be that way. Given here is an interesting word. 
the other ver- one negative some negative verses say about like, like the widow indeed she can't be given to much wine and that means addi- it means addicted to it means given to it in the sense of you just can't do without it that's what given to means you can't do without it because it's part of who you are given to hospitality is what Christians ought to be opening their home opening their homes the other thing we need goes along with this is open hearts because you can't open your home Really, unless you want to be a phony, you can't open your home unless your heart is open. Now, you can open your home and be a phony, pretender. Only invite those who can help you. Only invite big shots and have fancy dinners. By the way, lady, that's another key. I mentioned it, didn't say it. That's another key to this whole thing. See, when, now men and women are different. When I would go someplace to visit and they had served steak and shrimp, I was all thrilled, you know. I'm all happy about that. I'm a man, so I'll eat up and, uh, you know, and all this, eat the big dinner and get in the car and say, that was wonderful, you know. Uh, and my wife's going, oh no, how are we going to have them over to our house? Because we can't afford to feed that kind of food. So women look at it differently. They see what the other woman serves and how it's served and what fancy plates and tablecloths and all that, and they go, oh no, I can't do that. It's too much. We can't afford it or I don't want to do that. And so it's a hindrance. That's why you serve hot dogs and peanut butter and jelly. Seriously. When you have people over, you serve what you eat. You serve something simple. Now this is an admonition to the ladies in particular who sometimes have to do this work. And you do something simple so that the people that you're serving can reciprocate. You do something that they can, especially if you're inviting people that aren't as affluent as you are, or maybe you don't know for sure how they are. You do something that they can do to reciprocate, and it works much better. So you need an open heart. And that's what Paul says here in Romans 12, verse 13. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Even people that are against you, you bless. Much less people that are for you. You bless and you do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Very difficult. Both sides are difficult. Probably harder for Americans to rejoice with those who rejoice because we think other people have more than we do and it's hard to rejoice because we want what they have or we don't have it so we feel envious of that or heard about that. But it's also hard to weep with those who weep. And to realize that some people are just in a place oftentimes. And when I stand before this audience every Sunday, I know that there are people here who are suffering in ways and suffering in secretly in ways that I don't know about, none of us know about. And it, it's a bit of a burden in that sense. But we have to weep. With, but that means your heart's open. Your heart is open to people who are rejoicing and you rejoice with them. Your heart's open to other people around you that you that might be sorrowful and you sorrow with them because your heart's open to them. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not, in other words, think about the other person the same way you think about yourself. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Boy, that was a big problem in the ancient world. It's a big problem now. We set our mind on high things. We have all these ideas. We want to ha- have this and that. And I don't do this. And I don't do that. And, and he says, no, you associate with the people that are the humble, meaning the poor or less affluent people that don't have as much, whatever it may be. And you you associate, you consciously, specifically associate with people who are worse off than you. 
are not in a good position as you, physically or emotionally or spiritually, whatever. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So you have to have an open heart to the people around you. Easy? No. Natural? No. But there it is. This is the call in Christ to us to learn to do this. It takes, this may take a long time and I'm still working on it. Open hands. That's the next one. Goes with it. So he says in Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So you and I have to live in such a way so that we can live peaceably with all men. If, if we can, some people won't let you live peaceably with them and you're not under obligation at that point. But you have to live peaceably with all men unless they make it impossible for you. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. So do, you don't have to go around with a lie saying, I got to get even. Somebody did this to me and I got to get even with that. Somebody did this to me. I got to. So you take your hands and you have an open hand toward them, not a closed fist. I think that's the meaning of this, not the closed fist of, of vengeance or anger, but open hand toward other people. Apparently that's what it means to shake hands. I've heard, read all kinds of things about this over this, that we've developed this custom in our culture, Western culture, to shake hands of people that we don't know, because you're, when you show them your open hand, you're showing them that you're not armed, that you're not you're not going to hurt them when you do this, and so it makes a big difference. I was with a uh, he's a poultry guy. He he was a he's a master breeder, won Westminster Dog Show and all this other kind of stuff, training dogs most of his life. And he was talking to me about, he had a big German shepherd. He had really a German German shepherd at his feet when we were talking. He imported this dog from Germany. It didn't even hardly look like a German shepherd because it was actually German. The first, he had to unlearn the German commands to, well, anyway, it's a long, interesting story. But the, he was talking about how that this, these dogs notice things about the way you move and what you do that you won't notice in other things because they're responding to like open hands. They're responding to things. And so Paul ends this little exhortation here. Therefore, meaning if you're not going to avenge yourself and you're going to give place to this wrath that you might have naturally toward other people. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him completely against the world's view of things. If he is thirsty, give him a drink for in so doing you will heap coals of fire in his head do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That can only be accomplished. That's an active statement. Overcome evil with good. That's something that you do. So you overcome the natural tendency of, to be self-contained, suspicious, vengeful by having a, having open hands toward people around you and serving them and doing things for them. Now these are the three things that go along with the idea that there is always room for one more. And there ought to be room for one more in your life and in your home and in your heart as you live and as you go forward. You don't always see this. You don't always see the opportunities. You have to step out and take a chance sometimes on people and situations. But this is a principle that I think I would like to encourage you as an old man to live by.
And if you're a young person, you haven't started your family yet, make this a principle in your family that you're going to live by, by having an open home for people around you. Now, it can turn out poorly sometimes. I remember one night I, I used to invite people I would meet home with me to stay or to talk to and whatever. And one night, after being with this fellow in my home for a few hours, I, I retreated to our bedroom with my children and my wife and locked the door and put a chair up against it in my home because he was there. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm Mr. Open Heart, right? Well, I was afraid after a few hours with this person and I began to see what was really there. And so it all turned out okay. But, um, hmm. But I also remember other times, <laughs> can I take just a moment to tell this funny story? Um, about this, I was. We were living in a in a rural church with a, in a rural church, and and this little town. It's like a lot of towns you see. You drive. When we were in Alabama. I said, you know, this looks like a. This is probably a really nice little town to live in. And then I added, if you're from here, okay, because most little towns, unless you're from there, it may not be a very nice place to live because they're very suspicious of anybody. I lived in Illinois for seven years. Or, Six years, almost seven, and I was still the new guy from Florida. Never would I ever going to be accepted because, now they're good people, but I'm saying it's the way that little towns are. And so, uh, you go there and we're in church one morning, some guy, and this church, this is a church that in six years, I think we had one or two people that visited from the community. Nobody ever came for various reasons because everybody knows each other and they know where they go to church. That's not your church. That's your church. Anyway. This fellow comes in before Bible class. He's in blue jeans and work boots and a flannel shirt, unshaven. Got a rack, raggedy old Bible in his hand, baseball hat on, sits in the, sits right there or front where Doug is sitting and, and sits down in the middle of the Bible. The first thing his hand goes up, he's making comments. And I can see these people in this church going, what is going on here? All the suspicious radar goes up. Who is this crazy person? And he makes a few comments and uh, shakes hands, people leaves. And so the, later on next week, we're talking about this person in a, some other gathering. I said, oh, well, he, he, he spent the night with us. He came home and spent the night with us. These people's eye, literally, their eyeballs got, you invited that man over to your house and he stayed with you? Do you know him? I said, well, no. I just met him at church and we got to talking. He came home with us. Spent the night. Need a place to stay because he's he's traveling. Now it turns out he was probably had more money than some of those folks and was a Christian from Tampa, but they didn't know this. They would never have known this because he was a stranger and you don't mess with strangers. You don't certainly don't have them to your house and have a meal and let them spend the night. I won't tell you I could tell you a long and false story, but I won't. I'll just suffice to say this. This man came back many times through that area. He ended up being of invaluable help in solving a problem in that church. I'm not sure anybody there could have done it the way that he did it. He was invaluable in solving a tremendous problem in that church. But you have to have open hearts somehow to let this in. Now, eventually they did, of course. But but you see, most of us live with this closed hands, closed heart. We have good reason to sometimes. My point to you this morning is the call of the gospel is open it up. 
It's not natural. But what else? What about the gospel of Christ is natural or normal? None of it is. It's better to give than to receive. Is that normal thinking? Of course it isn't. I read just the first line of a story this morning. I was just looking at something for the radio show. Guy's saying, you hear the phrase, he says more or less, a young guy, you hear the phrase, you know, new year, new life. He says, I don't believe in anything about a new life until you show me that your cells have regenerated. In other words, the only way he believed in a new life is when you physically regenerate. Is that a Christian way of thinking about a new life and a new year? Not not even close. But this is an worldly way of thinking. So let's get out of that. Thank you for listening this morning. I appreciate it very much. And I hope that you can maybe think about how some of this might change the way that you do things in your own life. And if so, then to God be the glory. What's that? You need a bigger table. Well, you know, uh, Danae, that, that's a point. And I'll give my wife credit again for this. When we've, we've moved or we've had a chance to do things, she, she may have been thinking about grandkids and great grandkids. I don't know. But she's gone out of her way to make a place that's big enough and has enough chairs sitting around stuffed in places and have a big enough table to have this. Not everybody can do that. Please mis- please don't misunderstand me. I'm not criticizing you if you can't. But some of you young people can make your life that way. You can do this because you have a chance to do it. And and the circumstances haven't limited you in that in that way. So that's right. We're going to sing now. I'm going to get it back up here for you. We're going to sing now as we close. Um, number 356. Jesus is tenderly calling. Well, Joel's going to lead this. And this morning, if you need to obey the gospel of Christ, be baptized into Christ, you let that be known by coming down to the front here. We'll talk with you. We'll take your confession of faith in Christ and everything is ready and you can be baptized. Whether you brought clothes or not, you can be baptized into Christ because we have everything that you need. And this morning, if you'd like us to pray with you about a sin or about a problem or anything else that's troubling you, you come down to the front this morning and let your brothers and sisters pray with you. We can help you. You come right down the front right now. Let's stand and sing.